Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi. No, let's take that from the top. Oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. Hi. <laughs> Hi. What are you doing? <laughs> Sounds like, ooh, that does not come out of me normally. <laughs> from Luminary, this is Here to Slay, the Black feminist voting rights podcast of your dreams. I am Tressie McMillan Cottom, y'all. And I am your Negro suffragette, Roxanne Gay. (laughs) (laughs) On Here to Slay, Tressie and I talk not only about voting rights, we also get into books, movies, TV, theater, food, home decor, which, by the way, I'm enjoying all the pictures you're posting on Instagram about little tableaus. I love a tableau, girl. How could you not? We also do talk about politics. Yep. Try as we might. We cannot get away from politics, Roxanne. You know what? That is quintessential Black woman. We can never get away from politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, We win an election and get ready for a little R&R. But then what? The Democrats forget that they love, trust Black women. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Republicans look for new ways to keep Black people from the polls and out of the body politic. And then we're right back where we started. We got to talk about it. We do. On Here to Slay, we talk about it with women, mostly. Black women, usually. Mm-hmm. Women in media, arts, politics, journalism. Women like Tressie and I who have thoughts and opinions and who are getting shit done. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey. Opinions, capital O. Mm-hmm. We're not lowercase O, like some of those people. Much to the chagrin of a lot of people that know us. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) It is. All right, so we are, like, amped up. I don't know about you, Roxanne. You're in California. Yes, I do know about you. Mm -hmm. I don't need to ask about (laughs) how y'all's weather and environment is going. It's fabulous. 75. Yes, it's gorgeous here in North Carolina. It's in the 70s. It is what my grandmother would have called pneumonia weather, but I don't care Mm -hmm. because I believe in science now, Mm -hmm. Grandma. And so... I'm worried about all kinds of things, but I'm also thrilled we can throw open the windows. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to live, even if it's just quarantine life. But this thing keeps pulling us back in, pulling us back in. I feel like we have to pay a little bit of attention to what is happening on the national stage. We do. And I got to tell you, Tressie, the weather is getting much better. And I'm excited about it. I'm thrilled, but I'm also terrified because... I feel myself getting spring fever, like oh, I'm ready girl. to live. And uh, COVID is not over yet. We are not no. vaccinated yet. And exactly. so, you know, we're all going to have to just maintain a little more discipline to get through this. I don't know if I'm going to make it, girl. I don't either. Listen, listen, know. I'm about ready to throw, you know, I don't wear bathing suits, but I'm about to put a bikini on and go girl. and go do something somewhere. Like, you know what? Roaring <gasps> oh, 20s indeed. I won't. 
Listen, mm. all I want is a little air in my hair, mm. a little a little sprinkling of the ocean on my face. Is this too much to ask it is for not. Roxanne? It is not. Go to that North <laughs> Carolina shore. Feel the outer banks on you. Mm. It misses me so much. But yeah, the politicians won't let us live. They, they won't uh, let us be great. You're right. We are doing better with vaccinations, but are not where we need to be for us to just be all outside willy-nilly. And Biden is in, still in his first 100 days and has been busy, but maybe not busy in the ways we wish. You know, we have to, I suppose, give any new politician, new president some runway to get some things done. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to really assess what a politician is doing until the first hundred days have passed. And we know that Biden inherited a real shit show. To be fair. To be fair. <laughs> to be very fair. Yeah. Right. Again, Democrats don't know how to hold power. You know, we have the House, we have the Senate, and yet mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it. It seems like Mitch McConnell is still in charge. And Joe Biden is already falling back on campaign promises. You know, last mm-hmm. week we talked about he wants this $10,000 ceiling on the student loans. And mm-hmm. I read a news article about how the first migrant detention camp for children opened mm-hmm. under the mm-hmm. Biden administration. And this was yeah. something he said that he was going to eradicate. Mm-hmm. And I suppose a lot of us are just cynical at this point because I read the story and I, I am horrified. But I, at the same time, I'm not particularly surprised. One of the things that Democrats will tell you is... Yes, we have a public mandate, but the mandate is weak, mm-hmm. right? We took the House and the Senate, but the Democrats did lose seats in the House. They didn't do so great in state races, like across the board. Mm-hmm. Certainly not at the level we probably would have expected, considering how polarized the electorate was at the time. So Democrats defend themselves here by saying, well, we've got a mandate, but we don't have a filibuster-proof mandate. Um, and because of that, we've got to you know, negotiate. We want to bring people to the table. But what that looks like, bringing people to the table, is it does look like continuing things like migrant uh, children's detention camps, which is basically what they are. Mm-hmm. It looks like basically giving away parts of the store before the Republicans even demand it of us. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's that I'm cynical. I think I'm pragmatic when I say I'm not sure we're going to get the big, bold, sweeping political gestures from this administration that we were hoping to get. Correct. And it's a kind of a bitter pill to swallow because, you know, we keep hearing these Democrats talk about how we need Republicans and I'm like, who is we? Mm-hmm. And Republicans don't give a fuck whether yeah. or not there are any Democrats around. They are merciless in terms of enacting their agendas. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that we should lower ourselves to their level. But at the same time, we should absolutely lower ourselves to their level and get some things done and lead like we want to be leaders. And Mm -hmm. part of that is to combat voter suppression because the shenanigans have already started in Georgia. Yeah, listen, never they never stopped, but then they ramped up they after did. they lost that runoff election, honey. That no voting uh, on Sundays, that no early yeah. voting on Sundays. I'm like, so that that's a direct note to say, we don't want any black people to vote. That's right. 
Georgia, of course, is the center of the South where Black voter turnout relies significantly on Black church mm-hmm. turnout. And so what will often happen in the South, for those of you who are not familiar, you go to church on Sunday if you're Black, go to your good AME Zion, you have your service, your preacher stands up and says, they're going to be buses out front <laughs> after service for the elderly and shut in. But listen, everybody gets on that bus. Uh, and you go down to the polls. That's how you, they deliver and turn out the Black vote in a lot of these Black Southern enclaves. So when you say no voting on Sunday, you're basically saying yes, no Black church vote. And that's a significant part of the vote. Um, the Georgia Republicans are not just shameless, they are flagrant. Mm-hmm. Right. None of this is happening in the dark. By oh, the way. no, they're introducing this legislation in the Georgia State House. They're proud of mm-hmm. this legislation. And they're not the only ones. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are about 100 bills across um, state legislatures that are controlled by Republicans right now uh, that have various types and degrees of proposed uh, voting restrictions. Republicans think they cannot win without suppressing the vote. And here's the thing. Political scientists will tell you they are right. Yeah. They know that voter suppression is the only way to go because they, in fact, have very unpopular policies that well, really now serve, that's the thing, you know, or they, yeah. their policies serve a really small portion of the electorate. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that they have millions of people, tens of millions of people, really, that are like, yeah, I'm actually OK with the suppression that you want to put on me. I'm fine with that Mm. as long as you guys keep black people in line and women in their place. It's really interesting to see just how unpopular their ideas are, Mm -hmm. how half-assed. And then they're like, you know what? We know we can't win hearts and minds. And so we're just going to destroy those hearts and minds. Yeah. When you see somebody like Ted Cruz or something out there and you're like trying to figure that guy out. Mm -hmm. um, First of all, there's nothing to figure out. He is exactly what he looks like. I mean, but... He is who he says he is. Yeah, like, believe him. Is exactly. He is There's that motherfucker no that goes to Cancun when his state yes. is in crisis. And the worst part to me, I'm sorry, is then comes back and blames his, his children. children. If you want to talk about somebody's moral core. Yeah. You know what, yeah. Tressie? Let's talk about this just a little bit. Just yes. a little bit. Did you see what those people on his group text did? Yes, yeah. I did. I mean, the group text is sacred. So that means his people hate him. And they don't just hate him. They hate him and And his his wife. wife. His wife is trash, too. Oh, yeah. Because normally you would think they would would band around her. Exactly. Because she's married to him. she's married to the asshole. And they're all like, "Uh uh-uh, $300 a night at the Ritz-Carlton. It says so right here. Mm-hmm. Yes, they flamed him and her, which I thought said a lot about their place in their little local elite enclave. Mm-hmm. She clearly does the day-to-day work of the cruise brand Absolutely. around that town, and they cannot stand her ass. People always <laughs> think that these political wives are like innocent victims, and I'm like, frankly, they're generally more lethal than their husbands. They are the ones who are about it, about it. Let me tell you something a friend told me years ago that I never forgot. Mm -hmm. She said, Tressie, I was talking about a mismatch coupling in our like friend group. And I was like, yeah, because like the guy was a total pothead. And among other things, I'm being kind here. I think there was some coke in there. There was a lot (laughs) happening in there, but we call it pothead. Mm -hmm. And he had hooked up with this girl who we thought of as being like really, you know, pristine sort of <laughs> middle-class princess. And my friend turned to me and said, Tressie, um, crackheads don't marry non-crackheads. You might not know what she's doing, 
But the fact that they are in that house alone together, he is not the only person getting high. I think of that with political couples all the time. Why you think you would have the devil, the political devil sitting there and he's married to an angel? Mm -hmm. That's just not how that works. You know what? Proverb, Tressie. Crackheads do not marry non-crackheads. Not crackheads. So it's written, you, so it shall be. She blew my mind. Jade, if you're listening, I give you all the credits. We're big on credits in my friendships. I was so angry and like, I don't know, disappointed in people when they were making that case about Melania Trump. When Donald Trump was first elected, they painted her as this victim. Oh, I know. This poor little victim in Trump Tower just biding her right. time. Mm-hmm. That is not how that works. Never, no. ever. And later on, like years later, I think in the past year, I read an article that said that he and Melania actually get along fairly well, that they are mm-hmm. of the same mind and that he mm-hmm. goes to her for counsel, which means that she fuels a lot of his really fascist tendencies. Yes. There is no need to have any no. empathy for her. She's A, getting paid and B, exactly where the fuck she wants to be. Thank you. So we have all these political couples who are doing these really terrible things together and we and they deserve the share of the load of that That's let's right. implicate them both mm-hmm. and unfortunately we're seeing similar kinds of dastardly behavior at the state legislature level yeah they are up to no good mm-hmm. today we actually have a really great guest to help us make sense of a lot of the factors that are at play when it comes to one of the most pernicious evils in politics, which Mm -hmm. is voter suppression, and that is Brittany Gibson. She is a journalist covering voting rights for the American Prospect and the Pulitzer Center. Hi, Brittany. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. We're excited to get into this. Absolutely. So give us a sense of the scope of what Republicans are up to, because I suspect that they are up to absolutely no good. Uh, yes, <laughs> you would be right on that. So, you know, even though the 2020 cycle is over, we should think of this as in terms of the 2021 legislative cycle beginning. Mm-hmm. So in state houses around the country, there have been more than 200 bills that are either carried over or being introduced. Oh, we're introduced. at 200. Okay, over 200. Yes. in January, it was more than 100. Mm-hmm. Now we're up to, I think it's about 250 now mm-hmm. of bills that would restrict people's voting rights uh, around the country, all in different ways. You can I was just about to say, what's the Mm -hmm. scope of some of these uh, bills that you are seeing? Well, I think uh, Georgia is the perfect example of good, you know, anecdote for what's happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's most of the bills I've seen are pretty big attacks on the absentee system. Mm -hmm. So think of things like requiring witness signatures on absentee mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm. Think about things like uh, requiring early voting, early in-person ahead of election day, centers to have reduced hours or no voting on Sunday, as Mm -hmm. you just mentioned, things like that. So most of what I'm seeing now is attacking the alternatives, Mm -hmm. which really helped boost the turnout in 2020. Right. That was the big... Uh, horse race there at the end, right? They, I remember, mm-hmm. what's our, our little guy, Willie? Uh, no, what's the guy from MSNBC, the political analyst that you love, Roxy, oh, with his khaki oh, pants? Steve Kornacki. <laughs> Steve Kornacki, that's it. I remember Steve using, you know, he has his board and he keeps going, this mm-hmm. doesn't include the absentee mm-hmm. mail and that was the big mushy middle, right? Everything was in there. So we're seeing lots of bills that are attacking what ended up being a real vote-getting place for Democrats. Okay. It's interesting because it doesn't 
have to necessarily be that way. It doesn't have to be the place where Democrats are getting their votes. That was a factor of, you know, Trump saying, uh, my voters, hello, please do not go vote in this way, Mm -hmm. specifically go vote in person on Election Day. So it's one of those things where expansion could actually help Republican voters. If you're a Republican voter over 65 Mm -hmm. and it's easier for you to vote by mail or vote early when there's less lines or, you know, whatever things could happen on election day this expansions can help you as well Mm -hmm. yeah it's funny you should say that because uh, earlier trustee and i were talking about how republicans are going for voter suppression because they have such unpopular policies and it's so interesting that even when they have this opportunity to to capitalize on their base and encourage Mm -hmm. their base to get out to vote they're like no no thank you we actually just are not interested in in using democracy as a tool yeah (laughs) yeah that's another interesting thing about all of the bills that are coming out of georgia right now because their absentee system was actually designed by republican governor sonny purdue just 15 years ago Mm -hmm. one thing that's being attacked right now is um the no absentee uh reasoning rule if that makes sense so in some states you have to have a pre-approved state reason for why you'd like to vote absentee Mm -hmm. and governor brian kemp and uh, secretary of state raffensperger have just come out or in the last few months i should say saying that that system doesn't make any sense but they're actually by saying that attacking fellow republican former trump cabinet member Mm -hmm. and the system that he put into place Mm -hmm. because when they were designing it at the time they had a very solid gerrymandered plan Mm -hmm. right so the other thing that's sort of happened here has been very successful counterattacks at the court level of gerrymandered districts Mm -hmm. across the nation right so they felt more secure doing that sort of like mail-in ballot to appeal to things like elderly voters who do tend to lean more conservative when the gerrymandered maps were, you know, defensible. Now that those seem to be not unilaterally defensible um, in the court level, now we now we have a question about whether or not the system works, right? What kinds of things are people doing on the ground, both at the activist level, but also in things like, are we filing court cases yet? Like, who's got their eye on the ball with all of these over 200 bills? Absolutely. Uh, Activists and organizers, Mm -hmm. the usual groups you'd think of, Brennan Center, ACLU, Mm -hmm. Legal Defense Fund, they're definitely on this in terms of national and legal efforts. But one thing that's been really interesting, and sorry to keep going back to Georgia, because that state is so well organized Mm -hmm. and so politically charged and motivated Mm -hmm. what they did when uh these bills were first introduced was put basically a call out to all of their supporters so groups like you know your local naacp Mm -hmm. and aclu chapters in addition to groups like new georgia project the local common cause all of those groups they basically said these bills are not set in stone yet They're just introductions. So we need you to continue to stay motivated, continue to stay engaged, Mm -hmm. call your state representatives, tell them how this would affect your voting. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there's not a lot of reason behind the restrictive bills, and if people are hearing from their constituents, you know, the Mm -hmm. letters, the emails, the calls, that could sway some people to vote against these bills. Hmm. At least that's the optimistic Yeah, I was going to say, that's right. encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> I wish there was more that we could do other than... Because every time there are these calls to call your representative, I wonder, is that really effective? And I know that in many instances it is, but it makes you feel 
disempowered to know that this is really the only choice that you have. I think it's also important that we start to think about these issues on the federal level. And I know that in Congress, there is the John Lewis voting rights bill. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is and how that might help voting rights across the country? The way the U.S. system works right now is they're basically 50 mini federal elections, all with Mm -hmm. different systems, all Mm -hmm. with different procedures. You can live in California and vote one way and Mm -hmm. move to Alabama and all of a sudden you can't vote that way anymore. And the last time we had a federal response was after Bush v. Gore, after Mm -hmm. 2000 and the Help America Vote Act. So it's been a while since the federal government or at least Congress looked at this. Um, So one of the things that the John Lewis Voting Rights Act would do that would have the largest impact on people right away is it would bring back in something called preclearance. Uh, Preclearance was a part of the um, 1965 Voting Rights Act, which was struck down by a 2013 Supreme Court decision. And it basically said if you are a state or certain counties as well that have a history of suppressing people's votes, making it difficult for people to vote either based on their race or language requirements or, you know, physical disabilities, whatever it might be. Before you change any laws or procedures mm-hmm. to your uh, elections, we need to review it and just double check that it, it doesn't have bias against people, that it's not going to affect certain minorities. Mm-hmm. And that's not there anymore. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act would bring that in. And so a lot of the voting rights experts and lawyers that I've spoken to said, you know, if preclearance was still around, yeah. we wouldn't even see a lot of these bills. Mm-hmm. But another thing that I think gets uh, lost or not talked about as much is There are some changes to election procedures that don't go through larger bills or legislation. For example, on election day, changing polling places. Mm -hmm. That's not a law that has to be passed or anything like that. It's really at a granular county level. Mm -hmm. But back when preclearance was there, that would have had to been reported. Mm -hmm. And that just makes it so much easier for grassroots activists as well as the national, you know, big guns that can go straight to the courts Mm -hmm. to, you know, help people on just an everyday level. Right, right. Preclearance is, I think of that as the last grandstand, the loss of Mm -hmm. preclearance, which turned on a Supreme Court decision that said we had worked through our voting rights suppression instinct, right? Like this was Mm -hmm. a historic relic. It didn't exist anymore, right? And it had created unnecessary administrative burden and it was fine, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then almost immediately thereafter, I do love that the, you know, history is over. And then almost immediately thereafter, every civic uh, human right in this country was immediately re-legislated through a Voting Rights Act. So uh, the loss of the Voting Rights Act cannot be overstated, not just, by the way, for Black voters. I think sometimes we miss that. Like, I really appreciate you pointing out that mattered for Americans with Disabilities Act uh, implications. It mattered for people with uh, who do, do not speak English as their primary mm-hmm. language. It mattered to so many voters. Yeah, and what you just said about history being over is the rationale behind it. The way that case got brought up to the Supreme Court, sorry if this is too in the weeds, but Mm -hmm. it came from uh, Shelby County, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Alabama Mm -hmm. already passed a voter ID law. They just hadn't implemented it. But after that Supreme Court case, it was 24 hours later, they mm-hmm. implemented their voter ID law. That's the kind of so thing. That was, so they did not waste they any didn't, time. <laughs> they did not. Yeah. And 
shady. And you'll probably hear that states have created these alternatives. Get a free voter ID card. We have a van that goes around. They had to do those measures because right after they passed that voter ID law, they just so happened Mm -hmm. to close down DMV stations in counties that had majority black populations. Yeah. I mean, we saw after uh, the last election, I mean, I remember seeing reporting there were some DMVs that were open for like one day Mm -hmm. a week. So here's the thing that uh, I do want to put out there, because this is one of those wonky things that I'm not sure lands always with us emotionally when we hear it. And it's important to point out when everybody's talking about the filibuster, the filibuster, the filibuster, Mm -hmm. uh, filibuster matters a lot to uh, voting suppression and our ability to respond to it. Can you tell us a little bit about how that would relate to like the John Lewis voting rights bill? What the possibility is of it with the filibuster. Absolutely. I'm generally an optimist in terms of things getting done, especially in terms of voting rights. You can't talk to grassroots activists and not walk away feeling, you know, positive about things. But because of the filibuster, I don't see how you can get Republicans to, you know, vote past that to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, despite the fact that I'm sure the House could pass it with their majority. Joe Biden at least Mm -hmm. seems to be motivated. I probably had more hope ahead of January 6th. But if, you know, Senators Cruz and Howley are willing to not want to certify electoral college results, I could see them tag teaming a filibuster on this. It doesn't currently doesn't seem likely. That was very optimistic of you, though. You, you and eat. we appreciate yes, just you. a little, a little, just a little drop of right, optimism yeah. because when you look at the landscape, and I imagine as a journalist who's you know enmeshed in all of this, it can f- seem pretty grim and overwhelming. Um, yes, I I think the big picture definitely, but I've you know been really lucky enough to do a lot of on the ground reporting and. The people that are doing the most ground level work, um, whether they're connected to a larger organization, New Georgia Project or ACLU, or if they're just individual people. I met a fantastic organizer from Sumter, South Carolina. Oh, I know Sumter. Her name is Dr. Brenda C. Williams, and she just goes out of her way. She's a retired physician. She just goes out of her way to register people to vote, drive them to the polls. She used to go into... I know so many mm -hmm. women who have done that over the years. Exactly. And so when you talk to those people that are really just combating the system on an individual person-by-person level, Mm -hmm. it's impossible not to feel, you know, optimistic about things being able to move forward. Thank you for that gift, Brittany. And thank you for joining us here on Here to Slay. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for all of your great work and your reporting on this. I hope that we won't have to have you reporting on it indefinitely. How about that? Yes. It would be great if you could get a new beat simply because this one mm-hmm. has disappeared. I agree. Yep. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, she was surprisingly mm-hmm. optimistic, yeah. which, frankly, I appreciated because I tend to get, it's not that I get, I give up, mm-hmm. but when I look at the way politics are and what a dirty business yeah. they are and the things that politicians on all sides of the aisle, frankly, are willing to do and what they're willing to compromise mm-hmm. to push their agendas, 
it, it can be really disheartening yep. and dispiriting. Yeah. I have been accused before of being a pessimist and I always say, no, I practice in the black feminist tradition of pragmatism, but I admit mm-hmm. that that can sound quite pessimistic. And so yeah. I appreciated Brittany managing to be both pragmatic and upbeat. And you know what I attribute that to, Roxanne? Mm. Youth? Yes, that helps. Did you see her glowing? Uh, I mean, my God, I was like, look at the little shine in her eye. I know. My my eyes haven't been that white since 1984. But I also attribute that to something she said about talking to people. You know, Mm -hmm. we've been isolated for a really long time. And I cannot ever be confused with a people person. But I am a writer and I'm an ethnographer and I love to listen to people. And Brittany reminded me of why that is. It is really Mm -hmm. hard to be a fatalist, um, a nihilist, when you actually talk to people. Yes. It really is. That's why I think the work, um, when like activists talk about how important it is to like get off of freaking social media or to turn off the television, especially like the news shows, you know, and they're like, you need to go outside and talk to some people, right? That's like activism and collective politics 101. Go talk to some people. And I think that's one of the most important things that young Black activists have especially reminded us of the last like mm-hmm. five years with Black Lives Banner and Occupy, I think, even before that, which is like how much better you actually feel when you go listen to actual yes. people. <laughs> because you see them doing what we always, you know, call the work. Right. And they're not just talking about it. And when you recognize that there are people on the ground, and it, I, I do too trace it back to Occupy, which yeah. was for our, for at least our generation. Mm-hmm. You know, that was like this really mass movement. I, at the time I was teaching at Eastern Illinois University and there was a little, little Occupy Aww. encampment on campus, these little kids in their tents, and they were sincere about mm-hmm. it. They were like, we may be in Charleston, Illinois, yeah. but we're about it. And... <laughs> I really admire that. And so many young activists are doing this work. Mm -hmm. In fact, we get to have a conversation with one of these young Black activists. She's a woman. She's exciting. Her name is Amber J. Phillips. And she is a writer, a storyteller, a reproductive rights activist and organizer who lives in California. And she seems to have boundless energy for this. I know. I cannot even fathom what it is like to be that awake anymore. Um, Listen, I love Amber. Y'all, I've just got to tell you, I tune into Amber on Instagram like it's television. We're going to drop her Instagram in the show notes. It is my gift to you. Mm -hmm. Go watch Amber Phillips on Instagram. She entertains me to no end and teaches me. I love, love, love having cohort members across the age spectrum. You know, a person doesn't have to be a certain age to teach you something. And Amber teaches me all the time. We got into a lot of stuff in this interview, but we started by talking about the way Black people in particular have been engaged politically. Typically, when we engage Black folks in communities of color or low-income communities, any communities that are outside of the Beltway, it's this assumption that they're going to vote Democrat or they're going Mm -hmm. to vote for on the right side of history. But Mm. as a Black girl who is embedded in Black communities, I know that we deserve actual political education. Like... Yeah, not yep. just fill out your voter registration card, but and how... show up every two years. Exactly. And, yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, who is? I can't leave that work up to like 
Charlemagne the God, you know, or Ooh. or uh, wow. I, I'm I'm dropping. You can tell me what I can and can't say. No, I'm no, all for it. Say, you, you have actually listen. touched on a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> I, I have many issues with Charlemagne, uh, mm-hmm. the not God, and. <laughs> That what is it, Lenard? <laughs> yes, know, right? it is Lenard. Lenard. Yes. Uh, we yeah. keep outsourcing political education mm. to entertainers. Mm-hmm. And I understand that that might, and I've said this also about feminism, the superstar is the, the door. And it, that's fine. We yes. need people to walk through that door. I, I embrace it. But what we have to give them more than just the door. Yeah. We have to give them a place to walk into where we actually educate people on policy and not tell them what to think. Just yeah. tell them what the options are mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that we don't do this, that we're so not we, but that they are so condescending to black voters, Latino voters, uh, to a lesser extent, Asian voters that they just say you should vote for us because we're not them. Right. Mm-hmm. I just keep thinking you're going to actually need a better argument than that if you really want to sustain a black vote. If you really want to capitalize on say, well, what that's happened in the Georgia. Thing. And not even just a black vote but black leadership. We yes. only talk about these communities in terms of what they can contribute to these establishments as if it's not our grandparents and our aunties who are embedded in black communities who are um, my mm-hmm. grandmother ran um, the food bank at my church. Right. Like there's this assumption that all black people agree on how policing should work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's yeah, this assumption the that all of us are clear about what reproductive justice is. There's mm-hmm. an assumption that we're clear about what kind of supports and policies black queer folks need. Mm-hmm. And when we're reduced down to a vote during presidentials or midterm elections, all of us miss out on the visionary possibilities or the political mm-hmm. leadership of Black folks at the local level, at, in their, at the family level, as well as how that can impact um, national politics. So mm-hmm. I, I love that about we leave it up to celebrity or uh, mm-hmm. we build political superstars only to reduce them down to a couple of talking points or a message box. Okay, yes. so now that you said that, you know what I got to ask you about? <laughs> We've got a new crop of political superstars. Some people want to start with AOC, but I think mm, what okay. we really are talking about now is Cori Bush, or we're really talking about the new freshman class mm-hmm. who is often thought of as knowing exactly these narratives that you talk about. And I sometimes get in trouble. It's fine. I'm living. I get in trouble for not being as enthusiastic as people uh, expect and really obligate Black women to be in public. They want to consume our emotions. I have to perform being enthusiastic. I have to perform being uh, faithful, right, hopeful, because that's how other people feel it. They consume it from us. But I think that there has to be a way to go, okay, you can see this thing happening, but still have your eye on the ball of the larger political picture. As somebody who has organized, who has been in both like local and nonprofit spaces, especially during this, you know, Trumpian years, but also the Black Lives Matter uh, years of trying to figure out how they were going to relate to electoral politics. What's your read on our emerging Black political superstar class? I think it's exciting to see Black folks running for office and holding Mm -hmm. leadership. I think sometimes when we talk about politics, 
we separate or we only think about electoral politics. We don't Mm -hmm. also look at how nonprofit organizing falls into that. Like when I moved to D.C., everyone in my family thought I worked at the White House. I did not. Mm -hmm. I've only been there once. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So as an example, but I think what um, when I think specifically about like Ayanna Presley. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. she was doing like sex education around um, for black women and girls. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Right. And Mm -hmm. my hope is that as these folks are entering into these upper echelon power structures, that they're able to carry those threads. And really, I want us to listen to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. If, if that makes sense like I really want us to again it goes back to this political education thing I don't want to see Stacey Abrams and not ask real questions about her yeah. policy yeah, stances yeah. I don't want to see these folks and then not say okay mm-hmm. what are you doing around Hyde um, uh, repealing the Hyde amendment and I think sometimes mm-hmm. um, a representation can kind of do a, a, a doozy on you we're seeing this with Kamala mm-hmm. Harris right it's like Ooh, yeah. be excited she's a black woman but it's like okay but what about that policing record girl mm-hmm. like how are we redistributing um, wealth in the form of these um, stimulus packages how are we yeah. how are we doing all that work that's what I really want people to ask them no you raise a good point uh, one of the most frustrating things is I actually I'm very interested in the squad and then the people who entered this cycle mm-hmm. Uh And I wish more people would talk to them about policy. Lauren Underwood moved Mm -hmm. forward with her maternal health, her black maternal health initiative. And no one, not no one, but very few people are actually talking about it. Mm -hmm. People Mm -hmm. talk about, oh, diversity, there's diversity in Congress and so on. But like, what are they actually doing? What kinds of policy initiatives are they doing? And AOC, I actually find her interesting. I like her. One of the things that's interesting about her is that she does on a granular level try to explain what's going on. Teach people. She does does try to teach people and sort of open up the mysteries of Congress. And Mm -hmm. I wish that more people of color had the platform to do that. Yeah. um, Or the the space. Like, I think what mm -hmm. AOC is doing with social media. So I also did a lot of digital organizing when I was in D.C. Mm -hmm. And a big push that I will always make was to be honest about where we are and to really show these processes. So when Mm -hmm. AOC got elected, I was super excited about how she was using Instagram Live. She showed us the Mm behind-the-scenes of her first swearing-in. And sometimes Black women, we feel so pressured on how we show up that we can Mm -hmm. tend to only show up when everything's just right. And what I want... I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Exactly. So what I... I think they a lot of them do have the platform... If we're thinking about the use of digital media outside of things like the Washington Post and Politico and Mm -hmm. giving comment that they actually do have the power to speak directly to audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's what AOC has done so well is she's clear about her role in politics, but she's also clear about how she's showing up in culture. And that's the piece that I think a lot of black electics really could dive more into. Mm -hmm. And if I'm thinking about my entry point into politics, the first thing when you decide that you might want to run for office one day is Mm -hmm. you start cleaning every thing up right that's right you, you start, start to cleaning out less, that twitter exactly you start to become yeah. less of who you are and yeah. um really just only talking about the work and i was mm-hmm. I, and it made me a very uptight college student i must say i wish i would have had more fun <laughs> <laughs> that's why 
why I'm kind of pissed about this quarantine is because I turned 30 Fair. and I was like, I wanted to be out here, you know? So Yeah, no, it's undermining <laughs> it's undermining some good whole summers. Yeah. Let's, let's be, mm-hmm. let's be, let's be honest about that. Whole summer is just gone I right just now. know Listen. that, like, come <laughs> September, if, if Biden really follows through on this 300 million vaccine thing, if it actually Please happens, God. and yes. they say it's going to happen by the end of July, we'll see. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But if it happens, I think the fall, we are going to be filthy, filthy people. Oh, my Man. God. Skies out. Skies out. People are going people to be walking down minds. the street naked. Like, Let me tell what you, is clothing? As, as somebody who had, I, listen, and I had my good fair share of whole days. I really did. I I did it when you were supposed to do it, and I'm going to do it again. again? It, if we can mm-hmm. ever leave the house without feeling like that pressure mm-hmm. of the hawk on your back. Yes. Let me just tell you something. Uh, my friends and I, we're going to Carnival. I'm, I've got... To, I'm going to what? all the events Listen, where minimal clothing is yes, required. Yes, that is correct. I'm asking my people down in Mississippi if they know a juke joint. Oh, I'm asking people like, yes, yes, I want a juke joint. <laughs> That's right. Dirty, I want it bad. Dark, yes. Little dirty glasses. Yes. Dark liquor. I don't want no sexy ass I don't want the hells. Yeah. I want an incredible Hulk in a dirty glass and to be pressed up against a wall that still got sticky what paper on it. Hell, yeah. Yes. I want to get pay. pregnant from dancing. Yes. I hear you. That's correct. And I, I literally cannot wait. So as somebody who even had her whole days, I am so sorry for everybody whose really Listen. grand whole days are being interrupted by this whole COVID nonsense. Um, so before we move on to more important things like um, our whole days, I just got to say this respectability thing that you talk about with how afraid we are to perform our real selves mm. when we are political people. It also happens, I think, in our professional lives, no matter whether it's politics or not. Like the thing about being a good, respectable black woman is you immediately, yeah, you start putting on the drag, right? Yes. You got to present this certain face. And like, I'm really empathetic to that because I think AOC has frankly, some privileges she can draw on that somebody like Ayanna Presley cannot, right? People are there to attack a Black woman for just waking up in the morning. Breathing. And if she were to, like, crack a joke on Instagram, I honestly think they'd send out the National Guard. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Having said that, (laughs) I do think that with everything burning down, like, risk it anyway. That's where I'm at. When I hear people talk about my Instagram, even my mother, Mm -hmm. especially my mom, because... You know, I look like her throughout time. So she's looking uh-huh. like, oh, this is what I could, this is what, this, this is, what is my getting? life. Yeah, yes. exactly. She calls me her best thing. So, um, my mom calls me that. Mm-hmm. I'm her best thing. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, it's a mean? trap, Roxanne. Yo. Don't fall for it. It's a okay. trap. It's a trap. She want to move into my house. She'll call me anything. My mom is waiting on me to create a tiny... When that Netflix or HBO moment happens, she's like, build me a tiny house. I was like, girl, you ain't gonna stay in no tiny house in the backyard. Thank you. So there's that. Listen, listen, I'm gonna tell you a quick story. As somebody As somebody whose parents live in the tiny house in the backyard, let me tell you, my mom is already like, I need three bedrooms, Roxanne. And I'm just like... (laughs) Mm. That's definitely going to be my mother for sure. She does not disappoint. She's, <laughs> no. no. she's definitely going to no. want it to expand. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what I really am team. Take up as much space as mm-hmm. you possibly can. Be yourself. Like it, it sounds like so frivolous, but mm-hmm. as 
someone who is constantly trying to practice being my full self, you -hmm. really don't know even how far it can go until you start the process. Yeah. I remember the first time I got my hair colored, like when I decided Mm -hmm. to really commit to my uniform of crop tops. Like it's my favorite moment with my love. I love a crop top was when I had to before the pandemic, I had to present in D.C. and I was presenting on political narratives and I wore Mm -hmm. a crop top and some some wide leg pants and that's what she gave mm-hmm. because I just feel like a lot of these spaces weren't meant for me regardless even if I am right. in the perfect even and tailored if you dress. put on the drag that's the thing yeah. even if I put on the drag I am never them mm-hmm. so I may as well be fully myself because I am not only more comfortable but here's the thing that I don't think we give enough value to I'm having a good time I'm really mm-hmm. having a ball Yes. And the reality is this is when when I think about the folks who I bring into rooms with me, when I talk Mm -hmm. about black voters or um, black audiences, Mm -hmm. I'm them. You know, like I'm right. not going to separate myself from that. That's it. Um, when when you're organizing or you're coming into organizing work, people will say, find your political home, find your political mm-hmm. home. I spent most of my 20s finding this political home and mm-hmm. really just not fitting in the way I assumed to I would fit in because I'm like, oh, we all agree. Right. And it's like, uh, no, um, even mm-hmm. in black spaces, I'm a dark skinned, fat black girl. Right. That's and that right. comes with yep. its own set of challenges. But my my goal for folks is how can you become your own political home? How can you mm-hmm. start with self to really um, not just talk about black feminism, but enact it in your life? Mm-hmm. How are you thinking differently about your family structures? Um, mm-hmm. I refer to my auntie, uh, myself as an auntie, literally. I'm an aunt. Um, and mm-hmm. sometimes when we talk about um, parenting people or people who are raised and kids, I'm left out of that narrative. But the reality is I'm a critical part of my sister's children's life. Uh Right. And I want that to be honored. And I I started to include it more because I'll read bios from like people who are mothers and they're like, I'm a mother of three. And I'm like, well, I'm an auntie of two. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that that that's also a part of my political framework. Let me just tell you, I started doing that at some point earlier in my career where I would list the women who it made me in my bio. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm Orel's granddaughter, Vivian's daughter. Right. And I had a white woman come up to me uh, after a talk. So this is this is post lower ed pre thick. So I'm in a you know, (laughs) I, I got enough to be feeling myself, but I still need to keep a job. You know what I'm saying? That was the moment. And you can so, go off, but not off. You know there you I mean? go. Yeah. There you go. Just that, that context is important. And I, and I knew her. She was not a stranger. So, like, this is somebody who, sh- if anybody should have, you know, had a better read on who and what I am is my point. And I will never forget this woman coming up to me after a talk I gave and said, just so you know, you're never going to get anywhere uh, in life until you let go of that whole, uh, your whole mother problem. A mother problem? Yes, right. Yes, right. Oh, I'm just sorry, but I just, I just, that, oh, yeah. that's not how you know she was white and that she has yes. not met Miss Vivian yet because. Thank you. Whew, Lord, or any you other kind her. of a Miss Vivian because, yeah. I mean, this was so foreign to my understanding of how you even navigate the fucking world as a human being. And I thought, I have heard about your wayward, drug-addicted <laughs> son for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I know all that boy's business. He wrecked the car. He did da, 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 da. But somehow, 
When I say I'm someone's daughter, I'm the one with the narrative problem. (laughs) And I started to understand that there was no narrative that I, as a Black woman, that was going to have that wasn't going to piss off for the record, some white person somewhere. Oh, yeah. Or some man somewhere. There is enough to incite them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So if anything, I have doubled down, like you, with like being an aunt. I'm like, yes, I'm an aunt. I'm a Mm -hmm. godmother. I'm a this and a that. Because what I really think they have a problem with is the fact that we're something other than an appendage of them. Right. Correct. That we care for people other than, for example, our readership. Because I do find... And this seems to be unique to Black women, and I would say also Latinx women mm-hmm. uh, and Native American women. When we develop a following, however modest that following might be, people tend to believe that that is our primary thing that we have to caretake. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I actually don't caretake you at all. I write, you read, we engage mm-hmm. perhaps. And, you know, but I'm Nicole's daughter and Michael's daughter first. Mm-hmm. And, last and always whether i'm happy with them or not and yep you know i it's something i think that you know there's this fundamental difference and it's a cultural difference about Mm -hmm. what we prioritize and yeah this actually ties back to what we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation about how white people are excited for the political so-and-so to start up Mm -hmm. again while we are exhausted And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's because we have bonds, like we have things that excite us and that nurture us and nourish us and that we nurture and nourish beyond the political. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting to see the absence. I actually feel sad for them. Yeah. 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 And at at the very end of the day, these are the people who will take care of us regardless of if that readership is there or not. Yeah. Regardless of if we get the promotions and the raises, Mm -hmm. I go back to Carol Phillips and cry about this Mm -hmm. shit. I'm I'm always amazed too how there's this illusion that can be presented, especially to smart black girls, that somehow Mm -hmm. once we go through college and we get these jobs, that we are supposed to like separate from our families. Like, oh yeah, now they're over there and we're over here. Yeah. And the thing that I love, I'm also a twin. Um, the thing that I have valued across time. <laughs> Are, did you? You're like, wow. Yes. I'm like, how did I not know that? I had no idea. Mom, that's why Hannah is so similar. My niece is so similar to me. It does look, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Even though we're fraternal twins, I really feel like my sister had my child. Yeah, she just mm-hmm. incubated your baby. Exactly. I get that. So, um, <laughs> but I think that's kind of the narrative that I got as a kid too. Like when you're smart, you have to separate from everybody. Right. So, re- right positioning our families as not only our support system but for me really a muse and and Mm -hmm. they are who i take this stuff back to if -hmm. they don't get it then i'm not going to keep moving in that direction and this is i value education i value knowledge creation but i also want them to be a part of that i don't want to stay too far in a place where they cannot enter that's right Everywhere I go, my family can be. I remember my mom coming to one of my mother has come to many of my academic talks. And what I love is very early on in my graduate school career, she made a a concerted effort to understand the career. Right. She was like, "Okay, she'd come to me. She'd go, no, wait a minute. She said, because my mama can pick up on a shade. She may not understand the particulars, but she gets politics, small P very well. Mm -hmm. And she go like, I didn't like the way that person said 
so-and-so's title? What was happening there? You know, and so she made a concerted effort and to understand like what my research was about. And so my mom has come to my talks. My niece comes to mm-hmm. my talks and my book events. And I say to them, and my mom can get really sort of cagey because not all of my family members know how to act in public. And so she'll go, okay, she'll go, you sure you want Aunt Jean to come? And I'm like, listen, if I'm there and Aunt Jean can't be there, I'm not there. Mm. So now to be fair, Aunt Jean shows her ass every (laughs) single time. The last time she came to a book event, for whatever reason, she had decided that day to have a Jamaican accent. Okay. We, All right. Yes, that's what I'm telling you. You know kid. what? All right. Exactly. That's what we're doing. <laughs> God bless her. She shows her ass every time. But I refuse to be embarrassed yeah. by my people. It, <laughs> this is what we do. Yeah, this exactly. is what we do. And I don't know if y'all feel this way, too, about... Um, I'm thinking about your essay, Know Your Whites. Um, yeah. But even mm. all these years that I've been doing this work, when I have a real problem with how to navigate whiteness, my mother mm-hmm. gives me the best advice. Oh, hands no down. Matter. Every time. And it's been yep. like that since I was a kid. One time um, mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to work a job and like make extra money. And I applied for a pharmacy position, which how did I get to do that? At oh, 18? yeah. I did that at when CBS. I was 17. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. I did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I was I a applied, pharmacy tech. Yes. I applied for a job at CVS in the pharmacy. And, y- you know, they used to do those tests about like us. It's like a morality test. Like, oh, right, right. If you right. need 10 mm-hmm. cents. Do you grab it from the cash register or do you like basically yeah. asking you a bunch of questions of will you steal from us? And yep. I remember taking the test and I was like, mom, what is this? I don't know how to take this test. And she goes, answer it like a white person. I was like, OK, there you go. And I answered the questions. Yeah. And when I went into the interview, they were like, you really scored high on this <laughs> on this test. <laughs> So much so, they're like, you scored really high on this test. Would you mind taking it again? And that's when I know I couldn't do it. I couldn't couldn't do that particular job because Mm -hmm. already I was coming in. Yep. I'm like, I don't and have here's to be the thing a rocket I love scientist to do this. About your mother. Your mother understood the test because your mom had been taking that ver- that test, a version of that test her whole life. Her that's whole why our parents life. know. That's right. They've mm-hmm. been taking that test, whether it was on paper or not. Yeah. They've been taking a version of the how white are you test their whole lives. Yeah. And she knew exactly what that she was. She knew what it was. So when I come to her yep. with a problem with like these huge entities she's like oh do this like mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, think about it mm-hmm. like this or don't let people treat you like this or this is a moment where it's absolutely okay for you to stand up for yourself um, yeah we all say it you know they say it differently but you got to decode <laughs> it <laughs> that's right sprinkle some on it, they'll have you that's in there right going off in the boardroom okay so <laughs> That, that to me, that I want to make sure they're good. And I want to create political practices and culture. You talk about yeah. um, political education being left to superstars. And I think what I know for sure is I have grown into this personality of being able to do both. Being able mm. to exist in this political space, in this cultural space. And I think my my goal with a lot of this stuff or with who who I'm becoming as a storyteller, as someone who is an activist who cares about certain issues, is an entry point 
to mm-hmm. and sometimes a, a little sneaky entry point because some of the spaces I show up in like the breakfast club when I was on there it's like you're expected to do one thing and I, I can grab you with a joke or with humor mm-hmm. or with a good story and then I'm like well have you heard about bell hooks you know like that's really right. trying yeah. to transition people into believing themselves I think that's that's I want black specifically black women to believe what they're going through to really know that it's not just us that there are systems Mm -hmm. at play that there are things happening around us that it's not like whether or not you wore the right length skirt or whether or not you had a handkerchief to cover your legs or not like Mm -hmm. i want us to understand that there's all these things at play that's why it's so important for us to enter as we are that's the ultimate goal you really have touched on something I think that's so crucial and that we've been talking about in different ways Mm -hmm. that we live in the world as we are and uh, where we come from and who we come from. How do we encourage people of color, black people in particular, to be comfortable enough to be in the world as we are? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because there are so many messages that we receive that we have to compromise our blackness. We have to fix our hair because there's something wrong with it. Mm. You know, it's overwhelming. And so when I see the lost black people who have given over to white supremacy, I'm not as much angry as I am sad Mm -hmm. because I know that they just gave up. Mm -hmm. And so how do you keep your head up? How do you do this? And what can other people learn to how to in terms of how to do that? Yeah, it it is a a giving up. That's I, I just mm-hmm. I think going back to a piece of this which is joy I think we have to demonstrate it I think sometimes mm-hmm. we don't know until we know we don't know until we see it um, last night my really good friend um, Jasmine Walker who I did a podcast with called the Black Joy Mixtape yeah. she had me watch yes. this documentary called The Aggressives um, which is about butch lesbians and studs and trans masculine folks and one of the storylines was this person felt like they were a tomboy their whole life. And then they went to the village and they saw Mm -hmm. women who presented as butch and they Mm -hmm. went home and cut their hair. And I think that I can count, I can point to so many moments where I have seen something that I did not know was possible and then realized that's who I am. That's, Mm. that's what it is. So I think that Mm -hmm. as storytellers, as creators, our job is to, put a light on all these different ways of being and being that as well. I think initially I was talking to someone else about this show and I was like, the when I think about joy, I think about the, like you all are writers, you're geniuses and you're, you're really contributing to culture in this way. But then I love the Instagram content that um, you make around cooking, Roxanne. Like mm, yeah. there are times when like you literally don't know where this is gonna go and you're like tastes great. And I'm like, it's so <laughs> yeah, it's so important it's so small, but it's so important to see that part of your personality. That yes, yeah. you will read down white supremacy and bake a bread that might not look good, but it tastes good. <laughs> Right? It tastes good. Right. Or, uh, Tressie, your love of, like, decor, like, very, this very Southern decor style of, like, I think about your your book party. That was one of my favorite. Again, a moment where I'm like, oh, we can do this. Like, you know, at Barnes & Noble's. Oh, yeah. 
I know. Yeah, and we don't. Very, we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very. Yeah, and I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. there was like a ham <laughs> yeah. there and whiskey. That options, sure as shit was shrimp and grits, <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you come to a Tressy book party. You will be fed. You, I mean, and fed, you will fed, dance. Period. Yeah, daggone straight, you will. We don't play that. I yeah. looked around at all of those. Don't I've gone to my fair share and we'll go to them again. It's fine. But if it's my party, it's gonna be a party. <laughs> my party should feel like me. Yeah. So I feel like what uh-huh. you're saying to us is that if life is this party and this if this is our party, it should feel like us. Yeah. I mean, you literally get to mm-hmm. pick everything out. Like you really do. This mm-hmm. is your space. Really and I also hear you saying role models. Yes. And not in the cheesy way, but when you see people like living their truth, when mm-hmm. you see Tressy having a kick-ass book party or, you know, my in little Instagram, <laughs> you know that this is a possibility yes. that I did not think was a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can have a spiral ham at a book party. If you don't, <laughs> if you learn nothing else from me, people, this is what I want you to know. You know what? Let me get my See, that you can absolutely Post have this a spiral ham. Those people will lie to you and tell you that people don't do it. Ham goes everywhere, ham, honey. It does. You could mm, pick yeah. it up. And ham put is it on delicious. A I was about to say, ham keeps. Okay, I, they were telling me all this stuff. I said, first of all, everything you have described that does not keep. Ham keeps. You can put ham in your purse, <laughs> and it'll be fine an hour later. So I'm just saying, mm-hmm. respect the spiral ham. Listen, Amber, <laughs> Jay, fellas, we've got a question we like to ask everybody, but especially black women who come in the show. Are you ready? Yes. Tell us how we can help you. Do you? Roxanne and I, the show, the audience, how can we help Amber do you? Wow. Such an excellent. Um, One, the fact that you all see me is just chef's kiss. Like, I I, I wish I had more words, but to be seen by other people is an honor. And to be named by them is always an honor. I think about how in the past, as much as I talk about the erasure of Black women in films, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm speaking about that because that's often how I have felt. I have felt like Uh, um, my work isn't good enough unless it's coming off the lips of someone else. Or Mm -hmm. um, a lot of spaces or work that, a movement work that I contribute to or creative work that I contribute to, it's assumed that that's just what Black girls do, right? We're not... Mm -hmm we're not always named as the creative inspiration or the genius behind some of the culture Mm -hmm. that we spark. And I think how folks can help me is I love engaging with folks who are like, this inspired me to do this, or this is how I was able to carry on the work that you're doing. So I think naming is really important to me right now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm working on releasing a project and how folks can help me is like, just stay tuned. If you're already okay. engaged on my Instagram, stay there. If you want to follow me on Twitter, do it. I think that I'm invested in building context around my experience mm-hmm. as a black girl and any support of that um, naming of that is always excellent. I, I, I really, y'all, y'all will be some of the first people I share it with, to be honest. I was about to say, let us know. Yeah, I would love that. So I think there's that piece. And then there's so much stuff that will tell us no, but I want y'all to keep going because I get so many no's. I take a lot of L's in quiet, but I hope that mm-hmm. whatever no's that you all get, that you keep going. <laughs> I'm like, this is all praise. But like when it came across my I look at the MacArthur Genius Grants every year and I'm like, oh, shit, 
Can I cuss? Let it out. Let it out. <laughs> when I saw your your bean on that, I was like, oh, wow. May this continue. Uh, May it get even more specific about the details and lives of Black women, Black girls, Black queer folks, Black trans people. Because yeah. I don't want us to go another decade believing that we don't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to be in it for years and years and years, for generations and generations and generations. So that's how folks can help. Just stay tuned and please keep creating, keep sharing these thoughts because we need them. Hannah needs them. My Miles needs them. <laughs> we all need it. We all need to be the keepers and the we'll carriers of Hannah. the cultural legacy that that is us. Well, Amber, we know that you are going to be around for a very long time. <laughs> And I, I speak for both Tressie and I when I say we are very excited to see what you do next. You are a bright, bright Truly. shining star and a force in this world. And we thank you for everything thank you do. For you a star, girl. You a star. <laughs> thank you, Amber. Thank you, Amber. Stay safe, stay well, stay joyful, girl. Thanks. I love it. Thank y'all. Yeah. And that's our show for this week. Thanks to all of you who've been emailing us and tweeting about Here to Slay. We really do love hearing from you. Roxanne and I are constantly shooting your messages back and forth to each other. A special <laughs> thanks to Jamila this week, who told us that her husband is more aware of the staffing in his office because she makes him listen to Here to Slay in the car. And as a result of being more aware, he is paying more attention to hiring Black women because she said to him, you gotta listen to Here to Slay. If you don't already, force the man in your life to listen, okay? What's the worst that can happen? Uh, meanwhile, follow us and tell us what you think of the show on Twitter and Instagram at H-E-A-R-2-Slay. From Luminary, Here to Slay is executive produced by us, Roxanne Gay and Tressie McMillan-Cottom. Our senior producer is Curtis Fox, and our producer is Catherine Fenelosa. Production support from Lauren Garcia and Caitlin Adams. And our wonderful interns are Ali McPherson and Isoke Samuel. Right? I felt like I we mean, did. When we're on, we're on. <laughs> Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.